Well, my mom joined the knee replacement club this week. How many have had partial or full knee replacement? Raise your hand. Yeah, all right. The Hall of Fame. On the day after her surgery, they had her in the therapy room, and I was there with a little clicker, this time counting. Three months ago, I was sitting in the chair, and somebody else was counting, saying, come on, go farther, come on. Now it was my turn to make my poor mother suffer. Almost 56 years after she suffered the first time, giving me birth. It's really different to be in that room and to sit in that chair on the opposite side after you've been there. And, and I know uh, to a great degree what she and the other people are going through. Um, the first time they get you up and say, bend your leg, you're going, no, 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 no. Um, but, you know, you've you got to do it. And, and actually, the, after you start to bend it, 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 it actually feels a little better, a little bit. Crazy of all things. But So I'm sitting there in the chair when I was there and bending my leg, and, and they get the protractor out and they measure how far you've gone. And then they're going to measure your progress, you know. And the guy next to me went 112 degrees. I said, I can do better than that. And I bent that thing up there, and boy, I did the most of all of those old people in that room that day. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's one of the rewards I got on earth, because I'm not going to get it in heaven. On that first day, it just seems impossible to bend your leg. But it's not only possible, it's good. And the more you do it, the better it is. And there are a number of God's commands that seem very much the same way. And there's one of them here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And you think, that's just not possible. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. I want to talk to you today about the life that is possible. The life that is possible. And it starts right here with this word rejoicing. And it says, we can rejoice consistently. The word rejoice means to rejoice. There's nothing tricky there. It means to take joy in the things that are going on. One commentator said this, happiness can occur only when outward circumstances are pleasant, but inner joy can be present at all times. It is a positive action of the will in obedience to the divine command. It is not a reaction to outward pressures. I can guarantee you my mom was not rejoicing because of the outward circumstances while I'm pushing her leg up bending her leg. I think she was at peace on the inside. This kind of rejoicing is not accidental, and it's not automatic. It isn't a reaction. It is a chosen response. Joy is not a feeling. It is the deep-down confidence that God is in control of everything, for the believer's good and his own glory. And thus, all is well 
no matter what the circumstances. The second word in this uh, life that is possible, I've put it this way, comprehensive gentleness. He says, let your gentleness. Now in the King James, if you have that, it says, let your moderation be known to all men. The word gentleness is a hard one to translate. It means something like forbearance or, or putting up with things or yielding to the circumstances around. It means to be considerate, to be reasonable, to be agreeable. One commentator put it this way, a forbearing person bears trouble calmly and rejects revengeful meanness. Another one put it this way, the humble graciousness, the humble graciousness that produces the patience to endure injustice, disgrace, and mistreatment without retaliation, bitterness, or vengeance. Here are some verses that help define gentleness for us. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, there's our word, but also to the harsh. And so by contrast, we understand that whatever this gentleness is, it's not harshness, it's not meanness. It's responding to the world in some way other than harshness. 1 Timothy 3 talks to pastor, uh, the qualification, not of a pastor, but of an elder. And it says, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome. So again, by contrast, we understand that a person who responds to the things around them in a gentle manner doesn't quarrel. They don't fight. They don't argue with everything that's going on in their world. 2 Corinthians 10, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And so we can look at Christ as an example of how he responded to the things around him. And here is one of Peter's observations about Christ. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled or insulted, he did not revile in a return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And so Peter says, uh, or Paul says that Christ was gentle, and here's a definition of that. So when things are contrary to us, we don't fight fire with fire, we don't push back, we don't argue, we don't hate, we don't be upset with everything, we respond to things in a kind and a gentle manner. I hadn't learned this truth by the eighth grade. If I had, I might not have become exasperated with Doug. I might not have responded to several weeks of his daily pestering by shoving him up against the wall and threatening him with physical violence if he didn't stop. That is not letting your gentleness be known to all. That is just the opposite of that. But it's not just about people, it's also about how we respond to the things of life. We can be that same way that I was with Doug with events, and we, we fight them, and we hate them, and we complain about them, and we whine about them. And God says, rejoice always. Let your gentleness be known to all. But here's the thing I really want to focus on today. Look at verse 5. Look at that last phrase. The Lord is at hand. Now, the word 
that's translated gentleness or moderation, literally, the literal meaning is this. It means to be fit or suitable for something. You know, certain clothes are suitable to wear in church for the pastor. Certain things are not suitable. Certain things are fit, certain things are not. The word means something that is fit or suitable. So he's saying, let your suitability be known to all people. Well, suitable to what? Suitable to the Lord being near. That's the key to this whole thing. How am I going to rejoice in the Lord always? How am I going to let my gentleness be known to all people? It will be possible as I understand that the Lord is near. My behavior should reflect the nearness of the Lord. And so that is what I have termed the life that is powerful, the life of Christ. And the first thing that I want to say about it is this. The life of Christ is powerful because it is God with us. God is with us. Look at Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will fall on me, even the night shall be light around me. The theological term for this is the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere at all times. The Lord is near. Again, uh, the, the King James and the New King James translate this, the Lord is at hand. The idea is right here, right at hand. He, the Lord is near. What does the omnipresence of God mean to me? It means I cannot hide my sin from him. When I am confronted with circumstances that I do not like, and I am trying to choose how I will respond, I cannot choose to respond in sin. I have to understand that my sin will be found out because God is here. What does it mean that the Lord is near? It means that when I am tempted to pursue my rights and my goals and my desires without regard to others, I must remember that God is watching. What does it mean that God is with me? It means when I am mistreated and overlooked and not cared for, that God sees my hurts. Look at this. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Does God keep track of the hurts that we suffer from others? Yes, apparently so. He knows what is going on in our life because he is here. The Lord is near. When I encounter something that makes me not want to rejoice, I need to stop and say, wait a minute, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. The life of Christ is powerful not only because God is with us, but because God is powerful. God is powerful. Oh, listen to these words from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, we're familiar with these verses. We pretty much, 
you know, maybe some of you don't that are here today, but most of us pretty much believe God created the world. And according to this, it happened by him speaking. He said, let there be light. Brings new meaning on the, on the power of the word of God. He said, let there be light. And it was there. And we say, yeah, that's what God did. And then we get into a tough spot and, and we just fall apart because we forget God is powerful. In fact, later in Genesis, look at these words. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In the New Testament, we see the power of God in the life of Christ in a, in a unique way. Jesus, therefore, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's going to be crucified. Knowing that all things would come upon him, he went forward and he said to the soldiers and the people that were there to arrest him, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I am he, boom. And they all thought, wow, where did that come from? Is God strong enough to meet your needs? At some point in life, we have to answer that question, and it has to become settled. At some point, we have to say, God is strong enough. Whatever comes my way, therefore I can rejoice that he is in control and he is at work. Can God protect me from harm? Can I go to Haiti and sleep in a bug-infested, rat-infested, tin-roofed, cement hut and come back whole? Yes. Can I go to Africa and be in a place with a Muslim majority and people who don't like Christians and survive? Yes. Can I go to work tomorrow where people don't like Christians too much and come home at the end of the day with my self intact? Well, the answer to that depends on how big you think God is and how powerful you think God is. Do you think he's big enough that you can say, I will rejoice in whatever circumstance I am in? When you find yourself in the middle of a long, hard trial, do you believe God can deliver you from it? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not if I understand the scripture right. When I was in the fire department, we had one guy who was taller than me and bigger than me substantially and really strong, really strong. We had these metal poles that were about that big around, some kind of tempered steel, six feet long with a tapered end, and you would shove them into things that you wanted to open. You know, shove it in the door and pry shove it in a car hood and pry it open, you know, things like that. And I'm told that one time there was a car fire, and so it kind of kind of made the hood kind of stick down onto the car, and he shoved that pole in there, 
and pulled down on it and bent the pole. And I believe it. And I think, that's the guy I want next to me when I go into a burning building. Folks, who is next to you as you walk through your life? It is the Lord God Almighty who made heaven and earth. The life of Christ is powerful because God is powerful. The life of Christ is also powerful because God is ahead of us. Did you know that? Look at this. Therefore, don't worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or where should we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Have you, have you ever really stopped to consider that when you go to prayer and you're telling God everything that you need, he's up there going, yep, I know. Not surprised. He is not surprised by what you tell him because he exists outside of time. And yet we can get so wound up with the circumstances of life as though the whole world is going to fall apart because of my difficulty and it robs us of joy and rejoicing. When does God find out you have a need? <laughs> Way before you do. When my, when my son was about four years old, we were swimming uh, down at Boardman, Oregon, where we lived. There was a swimming area made into a park right off the Columbia River. And they had just kind of scraped it out in a bowl like this. So every place you walked, it got deeper. And if you walked across it this way, it would get deeper and then shallower again at the other side. But he was four years old. He didn't understand that. So we're in the water, and he's here, and he starts walking across. And... It looks shallow where he's walking, but he doesn't know. He is walking across this angle. And, and so it's go, the water's going like this. <laughs> and I think in about two more steps, he is going to be beyond where he wants to be because he did not know how to swim at that point. And uh, he's beyond where I can say, stop and turn around. And so I just start running, running, and I just grab him right when he goes down. See, I knew he was going to have a need, but he didn't even know it. He didn't know he was in trouble. And that's the way God is. And so when we come into difficulty and we're tempted to, to be uh, at the end of our rope, and oh, nothing's going to work, and oh, everything's so terrible, God's in heaven goes, I know what's going on. I'm, I'm here. I've got my hand on you. I can do this. And we need to live as though that is the case all the time. God has his hand on me. God is taking care of me. He is ahead of me. That's why David could say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Do you understand? This is David saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said, I'm not fearing evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and staff were tools that the shepherd would use both to keep the sheep in line and to fend off the enemies. And David said, I, I'm walking through the valley of shadow of death, but it's okay because God is here. The Lord is 
near. The life of Christ is powerful because God loves us. It's not just that he's with us and that he's powerful and that he's ahead of us, but he loves us. Listen to these verses about the love of God from Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then John 15.13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. The death of Christ in our place, proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us and is working in our best interest. We are tempted when we come into a difficulty to say, come on, God, why don't, don't you care? Why don't you do what I want? And yet God in heaven says, I've already proven my love. And you just need to look at the cross and to realize I have done for you what you most need, and I am going to take care of you because you are my child. One of the verses that uh, Raul had, uh, had Katie read this morning, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Of course, our problem is our definition of the good things is different than God's. People in Haiti would be glad to have any plate of food at the potluck. They'd be just glad to have a potluck. Not us. That potluck wasn't that good today. Yeah. You ever say that? Admit it. Yeah, you said it. The salt and the swine wasn't there. We have such abundance of people in Haiti would just love to have a little bit of that. And yet, can they be joyful in the Lord? They can. Because the Lord is going to take care of his own. But we have got to get it squared away in our heads that God loves us. And whatever he has allowed is for our good and his glory. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Sold into slavery by his brothers falsely accused by the wife of his master in Egypt, forgotten in prison after helping a fellow prisoner, made to be the second in command over all of Egypt, used by God to help the Egyptians and his own family survive a famine by saving up food ahead of time. And do you remember his words to his brothers at the, event, at the end of all of these events? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. There's no doubt that you will encounter things in your life that some people intend for evil, at least the evil one, Satan, who wants to cause hardship and difficulty, and you will encounter things that are genuinely hard and that you don't deserve. But God means it for good because he loves you. And so when I encounter those things, I need to say, I will rejoice in the Lord because he loves me. He is here. He is powerful. He is the one that is going to take care of me. God loves me. The God who loves me is near. The life of Christ is powerful because God understands our challenges. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. I know it's tough 
for some of us, maybe for all of us as we grow in Christ, it's tough for us to really grasp that he was seriously tempted. I would just refer you to spend some time in Matthew 4 and to think about some of these truths. Jesus went 40 days without eating, and then he was tempted. Uh, do you get a little bit out of sorts when you get hungry? How many of you like being hungry for 40 days? I mean, now think about, you know, how, think about how surly you get when you haven't had good food for a while, or you haven't had any food for a while, and you're just hungry. That's the condition Jesus was in, and then the devil himself personally tempted him. Surely some of our hardest temptations come when we are physically depleted, wrung out. I have a pastor friend in Richland who's doing foster care, him and his wife. They have two or three of their, two kids of their own, two adopted, and now they're doing foster care with a one and a half year old and an infant sister. Him and his wife, I, I said, well, how you doing? Well, pretty good, you know. <laughs> Him and his wife are doing like this, taking turns sleeping and feeding and taking care of that little baby at night. Now, you know, some of you are doing that. Does that make it a little tough the next day? Yeah. Does Jesus understand what those times are like? Yes, he does. Because this isn't the only time he was hungry and tired. There were many times. And then the devil comes along and, and, and he says, if God is really so good and loving, then put him to the test. Make him prove his love. Go up to a high place and jump off and make him come up there and catch you and prove how much he loves you. You ever feel like, God, come on. Show me. Prove it to me. Jesus knows what that's like. Then the devil said to Jesus, hey, I'll tell you what, you can be king of the world just like that. You ever feel like people don't quite notice you enough? Maybe feel like your talents aren't recognized or appreciated? Maybe you long for somebody to value you? Jesus knows what that is like. He knows what it's like to be offered extreme esteem, but in a sinful way. When you are struggling, remember the Lord who understands you is near. The life of Christ is powerful because God does not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now some people take this verse and mistakenly try to say, that the, way, the ways that God worked in the Old Testament and in the time of Christ and in the book of Acts, and now they try to say God works exactly the same ways. That is not what this verse is teaching. This verse is talking about the nature and character of God. And as to his nature and character, Jesus Christ does not change. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no flexibility of, of character, no shadow of turning. And then uh, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change. And you know what the second half of this verse says? 
Therefore you are not consumed, O you sons of Jacob. Do you know, this verse is actually sort of like talking to people in sin. And he's saying, the reason that I don't just go whoosh and consume you is because I don't change. I made a covenant agreement with Abraham, and I am going to keep that agreement with you, and so I am going to work with you to get you back right with me. That's what God does with us. He says, I have made an agreement. You believed in Christ, and I took away your sins, and I made you my child, and I will not come now because you are despairing, and you are not rejoicing, and you are whining and complaining. I will not come and consume you, but I will come and discipline you, and get you to turn, and to find the place of rejoicing. Do you ever fail God? Don't raise your hand. Do you ever get right in the middle of a mess you made, and then say, oh, how am I ever going to get out of this? The Lord is near. The Lord who loves you, the Lord who understands you, the Lord who is powerful enough to fix things, that Lord is near. He does not walk away. Do you remember the prodigal son? He took his share of the inheritance that he would get someday, and, and he went and blew it on high living. And what did he find when he came crawling back home saying, just let me be a servant on the farm? He found his dad picking him up and putting a coat on him and a ring on his finger and giving him a big party and saying, welcome home, son. God does not change. God is faithful. God will forgive. God will restore. God will continue to care for you. If he cared for you yesterday, he will care for you tomorrow. That is the God who is near. Well, the last thing that I want to challenge you with today is this. That powerful life of Christ and that possible life that God has put out there for us has to be developed. It has to be developed. A life of rejoicing is the result of meditating on the person of God in all circumstances. You get into a hard circumstance, if you meditate on the circumstance, you'll feel bad. Uh, you know, I, I, I think again of, of George Fujimoto going into the hospital. <laughs> Even when he got to the hospice, and he, knows what, he knew what the hospice was for, he said, these people are just wonderful. They're so solicitous, he says. They just want to help me with every little thing. He wasn't choosing to look at his life and say, oh, I'm sick, and oh, I'm dying, and oh, 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 oh. He was looking at God who is strong. He was looking at God who is at work. He was not focusing on his difficulties. David did this. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David had this down. He... He knew who God was when he chased after Goliath, when he ran away from Saul. He knew who God was, and he rested in him. The life of rejoicing is the result of meditating on the person of God in 
all circumstances. Secondly, a life of gentleness is the result of cultivating an awareness of God rather than becoming frantic when life is desperate. As I began to study this this, this week, uh, um, this passage, I just got the image of a child and a parent. And, and you know how a child gets, gets all worked up over something. And the parents there going, take her easy, bud. Everything's going to be fine. I just get that image of us in God's presence. You know, something's happened that's not that good, and we're just going, God says, I'm taking care of it. But we have to choose to say, you know what? I don't have to be frantic. I don't have to be desperate. I don't have to be worried about tomorrow because the God who I know as powerful and loving and caring and understanding is here. So I can rest in that. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive tree may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. That's a child with a blankie. When our twin girls were born, their aunt made twin blankets for them. Still have yours. Does your sister still have hers? Probably so. Strawberry shortcake. Little pink things. Identical. Except their name, written in liquid embroider. Okay. One of our girls could spot her blanket at 40 paces. There could be two of them laying there. That one's mine. And she was never wrong. What is it about kids and blankets or kids and certain stuffed animals? It's a security blanket. You, especially who are young parents, know... Oh my gosh, we've left the house without the blanket and the puppy and the lammy. The whole world's coming to an end. And, and try as you might, you say, no, it'll, it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay. What is that? I don't know what it is, but every kid has it. Our grandchildren have a whole series of those things. <laughs> when the blanket and the puppy is present, then all is well. Christian, what is your security blanket today? Sometimes we get wrapped up in a, a person, maybe an occupation, maybe some belonging. A lot of stuff we can get wrapped up in. What is your security blanket? What Paul is telling us by God's inspiration is Jesus Christ and his presence with you needs to be your security blanket. The Lord is near. It will be okay. I can rejoice. 
I can be gentle. I can be calm because the Lord is near. Heavenly Father, make your presence known to us. Help us. It's so hard for us to remember you're always here when we can't see you. But help us to cultivate an awareness of your presence. Help us to do that by rejoicing and by being gentle. And and then, Father, as we do that, make yourself known. Let us see you. Let us experience your presence. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.